What's going on, man? What's happening? Happy uh, Happy Thursday. Yeah, man. It's uh, been a good day. I was almost done, but I might be flipping in and out. Uh, Got to cover one guy. Oh, power only? Yeah, we got lucky. Like uh, we had a loadout trailer, and then I booked them a, like a drive and load to get it back. And we're actually delivering to the same facility, so they're like letting us drop it early, and uh, he might be ready to go. Nice. Hey, before I forget, man, I feel like we forgot the last like two shows. Um, just a reminder: we appreciate HG Ships. They are a sponsor, premier agent program out there. Um, that's why you guys see their logo in our bottom of our uh, corner. Um, on another note, too, I got this cool merchandise. We had Megacorp on our show a couple of weeks ago, and they sent us, by surprise, a bunch of uh, cool swag. So I'm wearing a Logistics uh, Megacorp hat today, which I you know, really like their hat. So Yeah, mine might get to me sometime um, if if somebody sends it to me overseas. <laughs> yeah, I think yours might take a couple months to uh, a couple months to get to you. Uh, we're in Logistics. We'll figure it out. But uh, you want to get into it? Yeah, I think before we get into it too, um, anyone else, you saw my post, um, we're excited. We're going to have some women on the show, uh, you know, coming up soon. Um, and uh, yeah, if you have any other suggestions, um, love to hear from you. Um, but yeah, we appreciate your guys' uh, support. We've had a lot of, uh, you know, fun guests and we got another, uh, you know, great one today. Should be a good show. Yeah, man. How's it going, Will? Hey, hey Will. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming, man. How's, uh, how's everything down in uh, Alabama? Everything's good, man. We've had some some pretty nasty weather the past week or two weeks, um, but everything's great, man. We've hired, onboarded three people this week, moving some desks out there now, and uh, yeah, things are good. Nice, man. Nice. You're uh, so where you're in Birmingham, Alabama, right? Yep. Okay. Where's that? Where's the like closest big city? I guess Birmingham maybe is a big city, but I'm not familiar <laughs> with Alabama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bir- Birmingham probably is the it's probably the biggest city in Alabama uh I'm trying to think of I mean outside of Birmingham you probably have to go to a different state really I mean (laughs) have you looked at a map of Alabama it's literally Minneapolis man I I think of like Minneapolis as as big you know I mean I didn't do Birmingham is the Atlanta of Alabama yeah Birmingham is is similar to Atlanta it's just uh a smaller scale, but that's a good way to put it. That Birmingham's the Atlanta uh, of Alabama. And then, oh, yeah, it's the highest freight market there. Yeah, Huntsville. You guys can tell I don't ship. I didn't ship much in Alabama. You guys can. I mean, Mobile has a pretty good freight market, but it's pretty cheap. But they have a lot of freight down there. Yeah, it's a good flatbed market. Birmingham. I had it's a drive-in. I never shipped there. Yeah, <laughs> I had a drive-in guy who lived there for like two years, and it's it's kind of tough to get out of. But Mobile is definitely the second biggest city. Yeah, my bill. Yeah, on, that's on the beach, Matt. Um, but yeah, flatbeds in Birmingham, those is, is great. The flatbed market is killer. I don't know about reefers or vans. I don't do a whole bunch of it, but we've got a, a lot of customers in Birmingham. It's all open deck stuff. Nice. Well, do you do you want to start? Maybe kind of give us um, you know a little bit of your your background. Um, you know, I, I know it's pretty cool. You're you're in your mid twenties, I believe, and you know you have a thirty person team or so. You know, brokerage. Um, you obviously have had some. A massive success you know how did you kind of you know get into um you know logistics yeah so i mean growing up i didn't know that this was a thing i saw you know trailers and trucks and just didn't think much of it i guess i just always assumed that whoever shipping the product shipped it themselves um i didn't have a lot of direction like when i was younger i wasn't really sure what i wanted to do um, that said i always had a pretty entrepreneurial spirit um whether it was just like buying and reselling snacks at school i used to 
like when Nike Elite socks were big, I used to drop ship those. I mean, all kinds of stuff, but I didn't go to college. Um, I stumbled into a brokerage position at 18. Uh, it was a, a roadrunner agency, and that was over in Homewood, Alabama, which is a suburb of Birmingham. And I was there for about a year. And my, my current business partners were my roommates. And after a year, we left. Um, we were under some contracts, not competes, not solicited. So what we did was we started a dispatching company, just third-party dispatching. And there's a lot of flack about third-party dispatchers. And I get it to an extent. Like, a lot of them are bags. I mean, like, I own a brokerage. I get it. I see it. Uh, but we ran a legit operation. Like, we did good work for our guys, owner-operators, small fleets. Did that for a while. When the contracts were up, then we started the uh, – the brokerage and we've been doing that ever since scaled back the dispatching company and can i stop you just for one second because i wanted to get i didn't know that about you um yeah. and somebody asked me very recently because for whatever reason people think i'm a dispatch service when i'm not i'm <laughs> in the house dispatcher for, for a carrier um i explained like i mean i've been explained to like uh from overseas there's a lot of bad operations and i've been told basically it goes like you guys offer to dispatch you know like different carriers with multiple mcs like each carrier has their mc and you dispatch each carrier like with that mc number right like you guys have one phone and you guys just dispatch for multiple carriers like like correctly you're not double brokering or anything but. yeah so it's all right through it and also so i have two dispatchers in serbia isn't that right uh, yeah that's right man <laughs> yeah we got two guys in serbia they're great um hey, you can send me their stuff man maybe we'll have a coffee <laughs> yeah, yeah no kidding uh well man they're connecting me on linkedin they might see this um Shout out Marco and Darko, but um, Marco so, and Darko. Yeah, Marco. yeah, I know two brothers named Marco and Darko, bro. If they work for you, I would laugh so hard. Like they're yeah, both dispatchers. Yeah, the, these guys aren't related. Um, uh, but so with the third party dispatching company, this called comes dispatching services, and the way that we did it. Uh, well, first we got started. We didn't really like know where to start with it. You know, like how do we find drivers? Uh, yeah, that's the off. first step I thought about too when, when I got asked yeah. that. So we started off like reaching out to carriers that we knew from brokering and we got a couple that way. Uh, but what we found was the, the most successful way was to actually contact factory companies. And what we would do is we would sell them on a two way referral. Basically. Well, first of all, you know, we're telling them, Hey, a lot of these guys that are going out getting their own authority, they might, they've never done this before. You know, they might've been dispatched by somebody else. Like we can drive their revenue, take care of their paperwork, keep everything organized. Um, so ideally they're pitching, our services to the guys that they're signing on for factoring. Um, so we're getting a lot of referrals that way. And then they, man, all the factoring companies have some kind of referral thing where like, if you kick them people, you get a percentage or a flat rate. And we're always like, yeah, man, we got tons of drivers to send you. Never did because you know, they're <laughs> factoring companies, but that's the way we did it. Two way, two way referrals. Um, I say that, man, there's a factoring company in Birmingham, Porter Capital, and we've kept a relationship with them. We've sent them quite a few people over the years, but for the most part, um, just referrals from them. And then from that point, um, ideally what we're doing is we're getting set up with the factoring company and the driver. So when we, so they're set up with the factoring company, we, we put the invoice or the, the POD, the rate con, everything in there. When the factoring company pays the driver, they're taking out our percentage of paying us direct. Before we do all that, we've got, when we had a transportation lawyer write out a contract, we told them what we're doing, which gives us power of attorney on contracts that we can sign, set up on their behalf, rate cons, negotiate, all that good stuff. Uh, we had so, so I'm confused here. Like your your company gets paid for the load, and then you guys pay the driver. No, you know, no, it's being paid at the same time. Ideally, so there's some situations where we weren't set up with the factoring company, and then we're just invoicing the driver at the end of the week, and we're charging a set percentage. But ideally, what we're doing, so we're not having to invoice the driver and, and pull teeth to get paid, is is getting them to agree to uh, 
allow the factoring company to take out our percentage and pay us. Uh, so the, getting, the driver gets paid after your 12%. They get paid directly and you get paid directly. Yeah, we, we weren't charging 12. Uh, I mean, on the high end, we were at 8%. 8%. Uh, but we had some guys a little bit lower uh, with a few trucks. But so it, like, who gets the rate con in that situation? The dispatch service or the driver from the brokerage? So we were getting it and then we were sending sending it to the driver. We're not changing anything. Uh, we're, we're literally either screenshotting it or saving it and, and giving it to the driver. But most of the time, and we'll, we'll break it now. We'll send them the rate con, and then we would also type out so it's clear for them. Like, hey, this yeah, is – Yeah, it's really new. And, uh, and we would get either linked to their to their ELD, so we're tracking them, or we would just do, like, find my friends and share them on the iPhone. So, like, we're giving legit updates, and we're, we're – So you guys, when you like, call in on a load, you're using, like, that driver's MC, but you're saying, I'm a dispatch. This is my company. This is my email. No, so, so it's similar it so like i get where where people were concerned about but it's similar to like a, a shell like you have shell positions everywhere but it's like part-time okay if i own a trucking company and i don't have it doesn't make sense for me to hire a dedicated dispatcher and pay them full-time to dispatch two trucks so like you can get like a shell dispatcher to do it part-time so what i'm doing is and most people aren't asking but if i'm calling about a load for this particular company and they ask me for the mc i'm giving the mc that's uh associated with that load. So I'm not with that them. driver. Yeah. If, if they asked me, my email handles was Hopkins at compass hyphen dispatch. If they asked me, you're just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a third party dispatcher. Okay. Uh, you can talk to the driver if you want to, like it's above board. And also, man, the thing that, that a lot gets a lot of people, I think that when I'm going about my operations, like calling on load, they can tell that like, I know what I'm talking about, like what I'm doing. So I'm not like, I'm not giving off sketchy vibes that they usually trust you. I'm like, hey, the driver's. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think the worst is when people. I know it's it's a little bit bad to say, but I think as long as you speak, you know, native English, like perfect English, um, people are a lot more open to the idea than when they kind of get those generic phone calls in broken English, and then people start to get suspicious much quicker that way. For sure. yeah, and also the way that we're sourcing these guys, we, we have a, a factoring company that's going to be buying their you know, their invoices, they're saying like, Hey, like we trust these guys. We've been doing business with them. Like they do this. And also like I have first few drivers we don't, but after we onboard a few drivers, we've been doing it. It's like, Hey, like I can send you uh, yeah, for a flatbed flat out of this area that I've been doing. And this guy can vouch for me because he's, they're buying the invoices. So yeah. no, I don't want to kill your time about that. I was just super curious because I've always thought about that idea and never yeah. talked to somebody that does like a, like an above board, like a good clean operation. So. Now, I love talking about it because to me, it's it's extremely similar to like an agency model for like a freight. For dispatching. You got, you got all these shell companies, but then everybody wants to shit on third party dispatchers. Like they're just scum double brokers. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't As long like, as you're booking the freight for the MC of the truck that's showing up, I, I don't see what's the issue there you know like, yeah i mean they've got an awful rep and like rightfully so in a lot of cases but there are legit dispatching operations i'm sure the comments are flooded with people coming at me right yeah. now <laughs> <laughs> no i just want to make it clear i'm not a third-party dispatcher you're not anymore like i was just curious about the topic i've never talked to somebody yeah. that actually did it what, I, what yeah. i'm curious though about is like the advertising so like i'm on some of these trucking facebook groups which are really interesting by the way and they're all flooded with people advertising dispatch services i'm i'm really curious if they're actually getting trucks to dispatch off of facebook have you uh seen any of that stuff yeah bro, of course they are. so yeah so like i, I kind of try to stay off those facebook groups these days like when i first got in the industry i was just knee deep in all of them you know just like i'd be arguing with some guy like in a, a different state about just something that like doesn't matter uh, we did a Facebook ad. We like paid for a little ad, not much. Uh, we didn't get any drivers off of it, but we like made a little Facebook page, Compass Dispatching, did an ad, didn't have anybody reach out. And uh, 
like I said, we got most of our drivers through factoring companies or just prior relationships. I don't know about those people. Some of them might be legit, some might not be, but our operation was legit. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. I'm sure it helped you too with like, you know, just treating drivers well and knowing what drivers want and how to communicate with carriers. Um, because a lot of brokers don't have any experience of dealing with carriers prior. They've just been salespeople and, or they just are on the cradle to grave or I mean on the split model. So, I mean, I'm sure that helped you a lot as well. I think it's probably the best thing I ever did for working in logistics is like seeing that side of the things and, and working with those different guys. I think that probably progressed me the most of anything like in my career in logistics is doing that for, for as long as I did. Yeah. Cause I think people that don't, and have never really been on the, the carrier side of things. They just kind of like, even one of my bosses said this to me and I am a carrier. They're like, you guys see the truck like it's a video game, you know, like they're just moving down the road. And I think a lot of brokers just don't think about like what happens during transit. They just see on-time pickup, on-time delivery. They, they don't understand, you know, some of the, the hurdles, you know, drivers are facing just on the road. man. Yeah. Or, or even what I found is that, I mean, like seeing things from like a driver's perspective, a lot of times like, oh yeah, it's like a layover. It's no big deal. Or like this or that, like a lot of that's preventable. And if you're like thinking about it, like, okay, like if I'm like sending my driver into this, like, what am I going to do to like make sure it goes as quickly as possible. Like I see some guys who are like, yeah, like I Google maps, everything and like screenshot. I'm like, you go in this store. Like we're not doing all that. But like we're going to call ahead and like make sure the hours are okay. And we're going to find out and make sure that like, it makes sense that like this load that we're booking isn't like a, Oh, if everything goes right, like it'll go. Okay. It's like, okay, we have some room for error. Um, yeah. so I think that safety net, man, is something like, um, you know, you got to always like factor in a four hour unloaded. Like most people, that I see failing in dispatch, they go, they're like, okay, I'll be empty in two hours maximum. And then I got, you know, 20 minutes of wiggle room. And I tell everybody, man, if you don't have four hours to unload your truck and make it to the pickup, you're probably not going to make it to that pickup. Yeah. I'm putting new drivers. I, I give Alex a hard time. <laughs> he's telling me he's like finding this amazing load. And then he's like, yeah, I'm putting it on my driver. It started a month ago. I'm like, Alex, <laughs> it might not be the greatest idea. No, no, a month ago is fine, man. You only need like five to 10 days to feel out a driver. But usually on our first, you know, one to three loads with a new, because we've been hiring a lot. I've been dealing with, you know, a lot of new drivers. I'll give them something that's pretty straightforward. Like first come, first serve. 450 on the miles if they don't make that by 10 a.m then i'm not progressing any further uh, in the difficulty area yeah. but hey one last question before we move on back to brokerage um as a dispatch service do you need anything you need like any kind of documentation or like so, not, like, so you could do it well this is like where it gets the the gray area <laughs> we did i mean we had i don't know like some kind of like errors and emissions insurance and then just like general liability um that said, like we probably could have done it without them. It wasn't like a requirement, right? You don't have like, oh, you need to check off this box, this box, and this box to be able to do this. It was just like, hey, how do we protect ourselves in like a worst case scenario? And so we got the insurance so that we had it, but there wasn't anybody saying like, you, you have need to do this or you can't do it. I'll talk to you off air, man. Maybe if you got 10 minutes, I'll ask you a couple more questions, but uh, yeah. we'll get back into your next stage after, after you finish that. Yeah. I wanted to back up too, because Will and I have, have talked about this too. And we were talking about this pre-show and, you know, he made a post, uh, a post about this, that, you know, blew up around, uh, around Christmas. And I think it's a you know good topic because you, you see it a lot. Um, but, you know, Will, you want to maybe touch on, you know, some of the struggles you had maybe, you know, before you opened up your own brokerage and kind of what that was like and, you know, you know, overcoming it to kind of get where you're where you're at now? Yeah, it, it's funny because when I look back, some of those times were just the absolute 
worst time of my life. But like, as I sit here today, like I'm extremely grateful, like thankful that they happened. Um, again, like I wouldn't have gotten into logistics if it wouldn't have been for that. So again, just like when I was younger, I didn't have a lot of direction. So like I went to three different high schools, was kicked out of three. Um, I started to college. I was at college for maybe eight hours. And then was, um, I had no direction. I had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, I was moving to different states, like trying to just get my life together. I worked on the beach. I worked on a horse farm in Louisiana. Just, man, just completely lost, no direction. Um, and then finally, I, I got sober in, in Birmingham, and I actually found some other guys that were in recovery that I went to go work for. So that's how I got that job is through recovery and just making connections uh, with people and getting introduced to logistics. And what I found in Birmingham, there's a huge um, community of people in recovery that work in logistics. It's kind of a hub. Um, and I think that those experiences that, that people that have gone through that, they, they help them in this industry. A lot of the, uh, especially like cradle to grave reps, like going out and like getting your own loads, um, and just sales in general. I think like those experiences are, are invaluable, uh, can really develop you as a person. So that's how I ended up in logistics is, is through just like ruining my life really and like having nowhere to go and getting a lifeline from a guy that owned an agency. It was like, man, I've been there. Um, you can do more with your life and it's worked out. Do you have a lot of employees then now? I mean, that's kind of cool. I didn't know Birmingham was like a hot market for, you know, sobriety and logistics. Do you have a lot of, you know, employees, you know, that you know, are in recovery at your office? So, somewhat we've probably got eight or nine we have 40 employees oh um, wow that's yeah. pretty big percent yeah so so I, yeah I, I guess uh for me i say not a lot because again a lot of these these guys in town that they hire out of halfway houses so when i went to go work at that company i was i was at a halfway house and like that's how i got the job that they hired from there so pretty much all their employees are are recovery so for us we've sourced employees other ways so when I look at it, I think not that much, but, but from an outside view, it's like, well, that's 25%. Um, so we've got, yeah, like eight or nine uh, people in recovery that work here. I mean, I'm not um, like an expert, obviously, on the topic, but um, I watch a lot of those like documentaries on YouTube and stuff. Um, I heard Birmingham's like and Alabama in that area is pretty, pretty brutal right now with, uh, you know, like the, I mean, America in general is having a lot of you know drug use problems but um i watched the documentary on on alabama and um, you know just seeing the locals and you know they're saying it's a pretty big issue you know currently over there and it's it's a huge issue and, and so heroin's always been really bad in birmingham but as of late it's, it's been fit and they're, they're putting it in in everything uh opiates or not so i mean yeah we're seeing there's a crazy amount of overdoses homeless people i mean it's not like uh maybe out West in some of those States where there were homeless people just everywhere, but it's definitely an issue and it's, yeah. it's quite concerning. And especially man, it's taking out a lot of young people with a lot of life to live, um, accidental overdoses, people that aren't even IVing, um, say like heroin, just like doing other drugs that's being cut with, with that fentanyl and it's killing them. So it's, yeah, it's a, a major issue uh, in Birmingham. No, I like to, to hear though, that there's, you know, companies like yours and multiple other companies where, you know, they're giving people a chance to get get back on their feet because um, I mean obviously that's important to to gain employment. That's step number one really to to combating it. So yeah, man, some of the, the best people I know have been in really dark places doing bad things. Um, so yeah, I think second chances are huge. I was given multiple chances, not just a second chance, you know, before I finally got it. So um, you know, we're always willing to you know help somebody out, give them a little bit of direction. If, you know, take a chance on somebody, so to speak.
Have you had a lot of, have you had some employees, you know, come up to you that are, you know, struggling that they may be, it sounds like you're pretty open about, you know, your recovery is that, you know, kind of came up at the, uh, you know, office or people at, you know, out in the community are like, Hey, I know Will and, you know, Black Box Logistics is, you know, pretty supportive of this, you know, recovery environment. Uh, yeah. So we've had issues with, uh, so again, like we've, we've taken chances on people that are early in their sobriety. Uh, so they might've just gotten sober, say three, four months ago. Uh, they started working here and they've kind of slipped back and, and we're using drugs and we could tell and, and kind of like our stance on it is like, we're willing to give people a second chance if if you're coming from that place and, and you slip up, like, Hey, let's go get you help and let's reevaluate as long as people are honest with us and accept that help. Uh, for us though, at the end of the day, we are supportive, but it is a business. And if somebody is going to lie and deceive us at that point, when we're saying, Hey, like, let's just get you help. Let's get it sorted out. But if it becomes an, an issue where it's affecting uh, the environment as a whole, uh, then we have a pretty low tolerance. Um, that said though, if somebody's open, honest, and we're, we confront them about them like, Hey, yes, like I'm, I've messed up or whatever, then we'll work with them. Um, and then again, there's several companies in Birmingham that, uh, are probably a little bit more welcoming as far as I said, like we source the, we have people in recovery. We have people not in recovery. We, there's a lot of agencies in town, but they literally, it's just all people in recovery. You, you guys should Google a company called, uh, ETA, Expedite Transform Birmingham, uh, second chance employer. They're, they're huge. Uh, the owner, Tim Cross, great guy. And he, he's got a ton of people in recovery. Um, and they're kind of the premier, um, reference, I guess, for, for second chance opportunities in Birmingham. That's got to be tough too. I mean, I mean, the, it's positive, obviously, that you guys are a supporter of that environment. But that's got to make for some, you know, sticky situations too. I mean, having people, you know, relapse in the office and, um, you know, having a kind of a split thing. I'm sure it's, you know, made some, you know, tough decisions, you know, for the business in that sense. Yeah, I, I think that we have a good, a good mix, right? Because it's not a, it's not like a, a thing. I don't think when people think of black box, they think of like a, a second chance employer or everybody's in recovery. I think that they know that. Uh, we have some people that have experience with that, but they also know that it's not just that. Um, so as far as the, the culture or the environment, it's not like a, a real big thing. I think that the people uh, that are in recovery and have experience with that, they're struggling, they know who to go to and it's a safe space for them. But at the same time, it's not just, uh, it's not like a real big thing, right? Like they have people and places to go within here, um, but it's not just all recovery, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, 100%. It's, this is kind of off topic too, but I, I forgot to ask you, you guys share an office building, right, with TQL or a different big box brokerage? Yeah. So uh, so it's funny. Our office building, it's, it's all, I mean, like real professionals. Not that we're not professionals, but we are a freight brokerage. It's all you know, lawyers, accountants. Uh, and then our floor, it's, it's us and TQL. Uh, and it was just us and TQL for the longest time. Another company finally moved in next door. We're getting ready to move, I, I believe. We're, we're out of space. Uh, and we actually, funny enough, we, we toured TQL's old building uh, in Birmingham a few days ago. But yeah, it's been us and TQL on this floor for, I don't know, the past 18 months to two years. How has that interaction been? Is there much interaction between you know, your employees and TQL's employees out in the hallway or out the smoking section or the parking lot? Is you know, there some you know interaction? Yeah, yeah I mean, a, a little bit. So I joke about it sometimes to, to customers. Like I tell them about these things. It's funny. If you guys have ever seen the movie, uh, Anchorman, uh, they've got the different news channels meeting in the parking lot and like just fighting each other with all kinds of strange objects. I'll tell them, oh, yeah, that's kind of how it is. But really and truly, like they're, they're friendly, we're friendly. Uh, we have interactions, but nothing crazy. Um, like there's a few guys over there that I've gotten to know and when I see them, I'll 
you know, say hello tell, by their name and have a little conversation with them. But for the most part, it seems like they've got a lot of turnover. So you see a lot of new faces and it's kind of hard to, to get a feel for them. And it is, we're tucked on the corner and they're kind of like the other way. So we see them coming on off the elevator, uh, maybe some smokers, but nothing crazy. Uh, we really don't interact with them as much as you might think. I, mean, I think it would probably be a higher interaction rate if you guys were a carrier with sharing an office. It's crazy. I don't think it's that TQL office, but I get solicitations from TQL all the time. Where it's like, like you are my neighbor. <laughs> you just, just, yeah, you just walk down the hallway, bro. Save us some time. Yeah. What's your What's your opinion on? I'm glad you brought that up because I, I see this debated <laughs> on LinkedIn a lot. Um, I obviously have my own personal opinions, but what's your opinions about that with co brokering? And you, know, you hear that debated every month or two on LinkedIn. Yeah, so I think that there's kind of a spectrum of co brokering. So, so and and you know, we I've posted about this, and, and I'm in support of co brokering to an extent. So what I just described is, is just like TQL, like cold calling me as a broker, like a smaller company. And like, I'm not for that. Like we'll never co-broker our loads because we're not on that level. So where I think co-brokering is, is valuable if it's a, a forwarder who might have brokerage authority or a 4PL overtaking a company's complete logistics, uh, like all of it. So so we co-broker with forwarders that are more concerned with the international movements or intermodal, and we're just doing final mile for them. So we'll, we never co-broker our stuff. Well, I say that. If it's an international shipment, we might kick it to that that forwarder. Um, but what I see a lot of is, is just like smaller brokers, like calling another, maybe like cradle to grave broker and like, hey, like can have some loads. And at that point, it doesn't make sense to me. But I do, like I am in support at a certain level of volume uh, and intricacies where co-brokering might make sense. Do you tell the shippers that with the international, you know, are you open with the shippers about, you know, the fact that it's going to freight forwarders? Yeah, so with any international shipments, uh, we will tell them, which like, hey, that's not in our wheelhouse. Like, we don't really do that. Um, like, we can't, like, we work with another company that specializes in that. If you want, like, I can run it through them. And what we'll do, I mean, if they, I think they know, like, we're marking it up a little bit. We're not marking it up an astronomical amount, but we're probably adding, say, 10% and then kicking it to the border. Uh, so I think they understand the order of operations, but they are aware that we're not moving it, that another company's handling the international movements. Uh, same thing with our LTL. So like we use a, a portal through like a much larger company and we get a volume discount and all of our BOLs are that company. And they know that we're using their portal, which could be considered co-brokering, I, I suppose. Um, and then as far as our customers that co-broker, I don't know. I can't speak for them, but sometimes I know like on, on quite a few shippers, they require the uh, the company name and, and they'll put primary freight us and our drivers will check in as primary freight. Uh, and they know that we're a broker. So uh, there's visibility to an extent, maybe not visibility to as much as you'd like, Matt. I know that you've got a, a different on this, but uh, the way I see it, the way that we operate and handle all that is above board. And we're not, we're never misleading anybody, um, never leaving anything out on purpose. And again, if it's international, we're saying like, hey, this isn't what we do, but we can run it through another company. Same thing with LTLs. Um, yeah, at least the shippers knowing about it. I mean, I, I, my my issue with it is I you know think a lot of times you know, it's happening like this first scenario you described where one broker's brokering a domestic truckload, not telling the other customer the customer about it, and then you know a claim happens or some problem with the load. That's be a pretty awkward conversation with a customer, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, at that point, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like uh, again, uh, where we co-broker you could say is, is with 4PLs, forwarders, or like LTLs. 
And then even Matt, we've gone back and forth about this. The way I see it, like if it's something that like we don't have any experience with and we know somebody that does, we'll always want to uh, keep the two men separate and we'll want to them to run it through us through them. We'll tell them like, hey, we don't do this, but we can run it through somebody else. And then like we still want a piece of it. I'm glad you brought up this, this topic too, because I think it's interesting. So like, are you guys doing international drayage, uh, LTL cross border, you know, everything, or like, are you having the new reps? Like for me, I, I avoided LTL, like the plague, you know, like yeah. it was just a lot of, a lot of work. You know, I was domestic, domestic truckload and, you know, being new to, you know, brokerage, it was the easiest to, to learn and get customers. Are you guys prospecting all types of, freight or are you guys you know mainly having your reps you know focus on like you know ftl flatbed for example so both but so with ltl and full truckload but the way that we started is a full truckload brokerage and what we found is that when the cradle to grave kind of like you described you don't if you don't do a bunch of ltls you get an ltl it's not worth it uh headaches it's just complicated things go wrong you might not be familiar uh up charges residential delivery reclass this, that. So what we found is, uh, so our first setup and we just transferred to a new one was uh, a company that is a forwarder and they have a LTL portal. And, uh, so that business is run on the agency model and there's a guy at the home office that is an LTL wizard. And so he would run our LTLs for us. And so that's essentially outsourced, uh, but still run through us. And our second setup that we just transferred to is, through a very large, the, the largest LTL broker. Um, I don't want to name drop, but we use their portal and they have a dedicated support team. So again, it's run through us, but we're not really doing anything. We're, we've got an LTL guy that he handles all the quotes, bookings. He's dedicated, he's the LTL department essentially. Let's get to him, but any issues, uh, any information that needs to get relayed, we're contacting the, the support team. So that way our Craver Gray reps aren't trying to take that on because just learning and understanding that in itself uh, it takes a very long time, and we are doing that, and a little bit of full truckload is just not efficient. So we've got one guy that does it all, and he's got help through the support team. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think that's a good good way to do it. I, I think I cut you off, Alex. You had a, you had a question. As a carrier, I mean, I have, like, a couple things about this topic. Like, I mean, first topic would be, like, what stops the, the customer, like, that you're giving his LTL freight to, to the, the third guy? What stops him from just, like, getting rid of you in the middle? I mean, nothing per se, uh, but for the most part, I don't know. We, we don't experience that. And you, and you would think that like, maybe you would, um, but for the most part, I guess if they see a job well done, they don't really want to mess with it. <laughs> maybe that way. And also like, we're not, so we're primarily a full truckload brokerage and like we can do LTLs, but we're not working uh, enterprise LTL shippers. The enterprise LTL shippers are finding blanket tariffs direct with customers. And like, we can't compete with them. So we're working with customers where we might do 10, 15 truckloads a week for, and they might have four to five LTLs and like, we'll handle those as well. So it's a one-stop shop. Yeah. I feel it's more of a secondary, like if the customer asks, can you do this sort of thing? It's not your focus. Yeah. And our business model isn't, isn't price driven. So we built and scaled off of small to medium sized companies and it's relationships. So we're not trying to be the cheapest and we never, like we, we, we don't do that. We don't do the race to the bottom. Like we give a rate and like our rate comes with the truck. And we provide good service. So um, for the most part, the people that work with us, I mean, we're, we're honest, we keep our word, things happen, but they enjoy working with us. So it's not like, uh, it's not like we just undercut somebody by $10 and then like something goes wrong. They're just like, well, like, what's the point? Um, I mean, so, also from the carrier side, um, 
I mean, the most truck drivers, most carriers are going to argue and, and make the argument of um, co-brokering being wrong because you're just adding more hands into the cookie jar, you know, to, to keep keep taking from, from the original rate. I mean, what would you say about that? So what I would say about that is it doesn't affect the original rate because, again, it's irrelevant. So, like, I'm asking this provider, like, what they can do it for. And then what I add to that doesn't change what he said he would do it and what he's going to do it for. So if he says he can move this A to B for $2,000 and then somebody else brings it to somebody and it's like, hey, $2,300. And they say, okay, it's the same thing with if any broker is going to quote a load. Uh, if they know a driver's going to do it at 18 and they quote 2000 they have 2000 and If they could have quoted 2300 and got 2300 then they could have done it. So that initial rate isn't changing. Uh, like whatever I expect to get a truck at, you're going to quote off that. If anybody adds on top of that, it, it doesn't have any correlation to the bottom line. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I've... I've been riding the lineman on this debate lately as a carrier because, I mean, that whole visibility argument that we've been having, uh, you know, so the carriers can see what the broker owns the load for. I mean, at the end of the day, if you ask me honestly, like the broker got the freight, it's his freight. If he has seven grand in the load and the truck moves it for two grand, that's none of the carrier's business. Um, you know, like that they didn't get the load. It's not their freight. Um, at the end of the day, as a carrier, I just care if I got paid right. I don't care what you make. I don't care what you got paid. I don't care what you make off my truck. As long as I got a rate that, you know, is profitable for me and my operation, I could care less what you have in the road. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, it, it's a tough one. And and I get the other side, like like I do, just the way that I see it and, and where I would stand is that it it doesn't really matter, you know, like whether the, whether the broker – I mean, like, say, if you're a carrier when I was dispatching, if I take a load at, like, 2000 um, like, whether the broker has, like, 1700 and they're taking a loss or they have, like, 2300 like, doesn't really, like, change anything. Like, I took a load at 2000 like, that's what I agreed to, like. Yeah, you still got the number you wanted. I mean, what carriers should be focusing on is not the broker's margins. They should be focusing on, you know, like, brokers, you know, quoting responsibly and trying to pay, you know, the carrier, like, a a living profitable wage um, rather than, you know, having 2,800 and paying the, the carrier 800 bucks because they can, you know, yeah, and, and even think... it's not the number that I want. I mean, it's, it's a free market and it's driven by supply and demand. So it's just kind of like, I don't know, like, like I know some asset carriers in town that have direct customers and they have contracted rates and they've hedged themselves. But if you're running spot market freight and you're completely relying on brokers and, and you're off load boards, it's not even broker relationships. Like you're going to suffer when, when, well, just yeah, have like a casino, man. It's like a casino at that point. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Yeah. Um, you said it the right way. You know, you got to leverage, you know, at, at least if you're not going to have direct customers, maybe you're too small to, to acquire them with your fleet, at least leverage broker relationships to get the, you know, the good freight before it gets posted up. You know, that's a bare minimum. Are you on Twitter at all? At all? Will some of these, I didn't realize <laughs> it until I got on Twitter, but like this topic we're talking about, about broker margins is like an absolute wild topic on yeah, Twitter. It seems insane. to like every week blow up and there's like a big conspiracy theory among a lot of truck drivers that, you know, brokers are making 50% margins on, on every load. It's some pretty wild discussions on there. No. So, I'm okay. So I'm on Twitter a little bit. I'm not very active on there. Um, but like I tune in, like I keep up with Craig Fuller on Twitter. Most. He's not really like on LinkedIn. He's got fantastic stuff. That's where I get most of my charts, the freight waves guys via Twitter. Um, but yeah, like, like, again, they're not making, I mean, like John Rogers is uh, maybe, but like for the most part, like when rates drop, like we're, we're experiencing the same thing. So like what, what, what Black Box has done is when margins dropped, 
or really say it's a percentage. Say, say we're just and we all like 15, 16% for our four year average, which is pretty standard. Um, but if a load pays A to B pays 2000 today, but maybe 18 months ago, two years ago, it paid 4000. That 15% is a, is a much bigger number, right? Because it's paying twice, uh, twice as much. So like we're experiencing the same thing, you know, like our rate, like contracted stuff, everything. Like I have to like lower to be competitive because people are taking it at that rate. And at that point, we're picking up volume uh, over bigger margins. So we've just increased customer count and load count, uh, driving revenue. But we're having to do two, three times uh, the loads to work to like get to what it was. I mean, it was just too easy for a lot. It really was. I mean, I think the bigger issue carriers need to really start to understand. And I, I'm a carrier, so like nobody can come after me and say I'm on the wrong side of things. I, I'm on the carrier side. I think carriers are quick to point the finger at brokers and they never look inward. Like if you're a carrier hauling for that that rate per mile, that you know, that unprofitable rate per mile, like you're the reason it's staying that way, you know. Like the guys accept like you said, if if the load moves, it was priced correctly. That's it. That, at the end of the day. Like yeah, well, it's kind of tough to – so, I mean, we have, like, a few carriers, or at least I do. Like, most of my actual operation I'm still involved in is just enterprise accounts. Like, I've got a team, but, like, it's it's pricing, and I oversee the enterprise accounts. Like, we do have a few guys. Like, we'll pay, like, a little bit more than we could go get it off the spot board, um, but it's not that much more, you know? I mean, like, it's a little bit more, but, like, I can't justify paying, like, an additional – 500 if like it's going to get gobbled up $500 less on the on the board so if we're experiencing the same price drops that the carriers are uh rates didn't stay the same for us you know oh i think that's a good that's a good point that's why that's why i always laugh when uh, carriers say that you know these big companies are manipulating their their data because they want rates to be lower but brokers make more money 15% of 5000 is much more than 15% of 2500 um, yeah we get every once in a while we'll get like an owner offer somebody who will call up and he'll start citing some um he'll like cite some rule or something and say like we have to like show them like this happened like a week ago it was on a load that the dude lost money on it and the, the guy was calling up he's like you have to cite this and it's fine it's like okay like, we'll just show you it was like a 200 dollars loss i was like all right man like yeah we lost money on the load like i don't know like we, we add in it we don't you're just like wasting our time what did that see those are the ones they don't post about you know like they, they post the one raycon the cf371 you know we talked to matthew leffer about that that thing they're citing on our show it's been around forever um yeah. what did what was their reaction when you uh they saw the raycon you lost 200. i think he was just like i didn't he was just kind of like yeah like you had to show me like he didn't he went like uh like he didn't have any remorse it was like okay like i'm sorry he was just like He's like, all right, and like went on about his day. He's just like, what's going on? Because because the broker man, he like he didn't know. It's not like he was trying to like hide anything from the carrier. He was like, it's never happened before. And this guy's like citing rules. He's like, what do I do? And like pulled it up, and the guy's getting all worked up. The driver, and I was like, dude, like I will show you. Like, we lost money. Um, whatever. How um, I, I kind of wanted to get into the uh, sales. Obviously, we got a lot of salespeople um, listening, and you know, training's a big. You know topic as well i'd love to hear you know because correct me if i'm wrong but you, you guys are hiring a lot of people without logistics experience right yeah um we would love to get them with experience they're just hard to find right um so yeah the way that we do it and i'm not super involved in the training uh but my partner logan he ends up all the training what we've he's developed kind of a a black box training guide so what we do is we put them in a separate room it's a classroom style room in the first, like, say, two to three weeks, they're not touching phone or anything. It's like a, a classroom. Like, they're training them through just 
vocab, how to rate, I mean, just A to B, just like crash course, right? And those first 90 days, he's sitting in there, and then another um, woman sits in there that's been with us three and a half years, and they're just kind of, everything that they do, they're kind of walking them through it, not just what we do, but why we do it. Um, so if I tell somebody what to do, they're, they're not likely to remember it for the next time, but if I tell them and I show them and I explain why they're much more likely to retain it. Um, so we have a pretty good track record of retention given what logistics is and how high the turnover is. That said, um, some people just aren't built to be cradle to grave reps. And sometimes we, well, we don't cut them. What we've done, Matt, Matt and I were talking about this uh, before we went live, but we split our off into team systems and cradle to grave. So uh, for the most part, most people start out cradle to grave. And for whatever reason, if they just hate sales or it's just not for them, we can usually find a different position where there'll be an asset, whether it's track and trace, uh, dispatch carrier sales, or maybe they're just awful at operations. Maybe they just cannot stay organized and we'll kick them to BDR where they're just doing sales. So, uh, we try, if anybody is showing up every day and giving like real effort and open-minded, like we keep them, we find a way to keep them around. Uh, we don't just cut ties with them because they're, they're not making it as a crow to grave. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know, I think that's probably part of the reason you guys have grown so much. I mean, innovative, you know, thinking of where to put people because you're right. I mean, some people are better at other jobs, you know, than others. I, I'm curious too, do you, do you train? Cause you and I always laugh about this, but obviously I was a bigger reefer uh, freight guy and you're a bigger flatbed. Do you, do you train the reps to like mainly look, look for flatbed customers or what do you uh, train for prospecting? So it's sort of, we don't tell them to not pursue reefers, but we do tell them, uh, I think, see, I think that we're going to disagree on this, but I think that like open deck freight is just easier. And we're also in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and most of the companies we work with are like flat, but it's just easier for us to get in the door with open deck companies. And, and I, agree. I agree. I mean, it's easier as a, as a carrier driver, like reefer freight. It's simple. Like there's no manual labor behind securing stuff, but reefer is dangerous, man. That's like, you're walking into claim city, rejected products city. You got to go donate stuff. Like, like reefer freight for me is something I, I just I don't like doing. I mean I've done all three of them, but flatbed's pretty simple. It's either hook and go or tarp and go. I mean it's not a lot to do there. Like, yeah. Uh, so I moved one reefer load ever. It was like it was my second day. <laughs> hey, let me tell you that they did not have good training. They basically put me in front of a computer and like, all right, make money. I had no idea what I was doing. And somehow I got a load on my second day. And it was like, man, it was like seven thirty to four were the hours. It was like three forty five. So everybody's leaving. You know, like my second day, I don't know what I'm doing get the load so one guy stays late with me who's like also new that we can't figure out how to build it it's like a a three pick us two california one arizona and like two drops uh in canada and it was man it was just a nightmare and it was just like i said i was like i don't know if i can want to do this man this is i pray it's kind of bullshit like this is this is stupid um so that's my last reef load i ever moved ever since then it's been driving the flatbeds uh and over the past since black box it's really been uh open deck stuff I mean, reefer is just dangerous, man. I mean, I hauled, I remember I was on the phone. This was when the market was insane for like a Los Angeles to, to PA or New Jersey um, negative reefer load for like 15 grand. And I'm like booking it. And my boss is in the background screaming like, don't book that. Don't book that. 15,000. Yeah, one load. Was 15 grand. Oh, wait, it was a claim? No, no, no. This is just off the spot market. I mean, this is like 2021 when shit was like really, really cool. <laughs> still 15 grand. Yeah, but 15 grand, one reefer load, you know? And I'm booking it. I go, oh, 15,000. This is, you know, and I just, I'm like, okay, let's do it. I hear my boss is freaking out. He's sitting in front of me. I can see him over the monitor, like jumping, you know? 
And I finally booked the load. I get off the phone. I'm like, what's wrong with you? He goes, bro, it's minus ice cream reefer load hauling it across like the entire country, but we're not going to sleep for six days, man. Like if that reefer turns off, we're quarter million dollar claim, half a million dollar claim. I thought it'll be fine, bro. You're going to go to sleep, man. And yeah. We delivered it. Nothing went wrong. But we did have a couple of guys who are, who are reefer heavy. Um, so we don't tell, we don't tell anybody to avoid it, but just for the most part, like if anybody asks me for advice, so they're like, Hey, like, I'm like, I'm going to tell them what I know. Like, I don't know anything about reefers and I can't help them. Um, so like if they come to me and like, I'm going to give them advice that's geared towards flatbeds. Um, so like, maybe that's a reason, but again, my partner who does the training, like he, he does some reefer stuff. Um, we just found it's easier to get started with flatbed. It's just in operations are easier and, and just simple. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. easier to get in. I, I'm curious your thoughts on this, but I, I would think it's easier to get in with flatbed customers than it is to get in with reefer customers, or at least, that's what I've seen to some degree. Um, so I've never really tried to get in with reefer customers, but I will say, so I don't really know, uh, but I would think so. Cause like, well, we have only open deck. Uh, but for me, I don't do a lot of sales these days, but if I do, if like we're ever shipping a lot of loads to a certain facility, like it's really easy for me to talk flatbed freight and like talk about different people that they're working with some enterprise steel company. Like I know, I know the operations of the others. Like I can talk fluent with them. That said, if I called some, enterprise reefer customer got the guy on the phone he, like who is this idiot like he i don't know man like he'd ask me like what temperature to put something in that and i was like I, I have no idea you know like I, I know nothing about it yeah that was the opposite with me if someone would ask me about like steel or some of these other commodities i'd have no idea what i was what i was talking about probably why i did food because it's easier to understand like tangibly I mean, what do you well yeah matt you didn't know what a flatbed was when you walked into logistics so. no, I got, <laughs> my second best customer though came and he did flatbed and van and my call was in training and they didn't become the second best right away, but they were a flatbed customer. And I didn't know what a flatbed was on that, on that phone call. Yeah, I feel yeah. like a general like understanding of like commercial building products is probably not as high. If you don't know what the flatbed is, but what do you haul the most? Cause I did a lot of flatbed work. I mean, what's your like typical, I'd say um, highest commodity, something like, you know, general. The highest commodity is probably coils uh coils or bar coils coils yeah yeah uh steel coils yeah. coils i mean do you guys have those shippers because i mean this was the biggest thing of coils i don't know why none of my drivers ever wanted to keep their racks so like 99 percent of coil loads that i had it would be like oh you can buy them at the shipper we'll give you the money on the rate con for the coil racks and then we would sell them at the truck stop because those drivers didn't want to hold on to them so our shippers don't um but then again, like most of the places that like we really do a lot of loads out of are kind of like if you're in there with the flatbed, like you, you're probably going to get a coil. Um, but we did have this one. It's actually a forder. So co-brokering situation. Um, but they've got a customer who does a ton of coils. And like we got to put this certain material under the coils and nobody has it. But there's a truck stop down the road, um, rubber mats, and they'll go get the, uh, the rubber mats from the, the truck stop. But the shipper doesn't have them. Dunnage, dunnage is a big one. Most of our shippers have dunnage on site, no charge for it. Yeah. I'm curious uh, your thoughts on on this. Uh, have you ever done a flatbed tanker endorse load? So I haven't, but we have some guys that do a whole bunch of it. Yeah, that was okay. fun. I, I I had a customer like no flatbed drivers have that compared to van and reefer. It's like such a small percent. Like that was maybe that's why like I didn't like flatbed dealing with flatbed tanker endorsements was really fun. <laughs> yeah um yeah I, i've never done any, any of it 
I've never really done any like tanker and door loads in general, but we've got one guy who, who does them. I don't know much about it, but I've heard him talking about it and see him in the system sometimes. How do you guys do uh are you guys big on KPIs, uh, you know, for your new guys or what's your, or like number of prospects or how do you kind of teach, uh, you know, prospecting KPIs? Uh, I'd love to kind of hear your, hear your thoughts on that stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of dependent on who it is. So when they're in that uh, initial training room, again, I'm not super hands-on with this, but uh, my partner and the, the other woman in there, they are like tracking everything and they've got, a certain amount of calls that they want them to hit uh, when they're first, first starting out. But once they get moved out of that training room, like I'm talking about past the first three months, it just depends on who they are and their style. So we're, we're always going to be like results over, over efforts per se. Like I don't care if you make uh, a bunch of calls, if like you're moving loads and you're like creating relationships, like if you're creating value, we're not worried about it. But if you're, if you're there and like nothing's happening and, then it's going to be an issue. It's like, okay, well, like we got to see something like we need you to make this many calls or send this many emails. Um, but if it makes sense, if they're getting traction other ways, we're not going to be down there looking over their shoulder, like making sure that you make this many calls. So it's only, only really an issue if like, uh, if nothing's happening for them, uh, then we're like, all right, we got to like set some benchmarks that we expect to hit. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. Um, what have you gotten some employees too? I should have asked you this when we were talking about, uh, you know, earlier, but you know, what's kind of your, have you got some employees from LinkedIn? I, I see you're posting a lot about, about hiring. Obviously you have a, you know, you posted a lot of great content on LinkedIn. That's how we met each other on LinkedIn. Have you, uh, you found that LinkedIn has helped you, you know, with getting employees and, uh, you know, kind of growing the company? Yeah, it, it has. Um, so funny enough, we've got this guy that lives in Fresno, California. And he listened to the Freight Caviar podcast I was on, and he reached out to my partner, and he's going to move from California to Birmingham for a brokerage position. Oh, wow. um, never worked in logistics before. I think he, like, sells trailers or something. Um, that's pretty cool. I mean, California to, to Birmingham. And then it's helped, but not, like, on that level. We never had anybody move that far. We had a guy move from Arkansas. Um, but for the most part, it's people from Birmingham or surrounding areas. Uh, we've probably hired, I mean, three to four uh, people that I've maybe a little bit more, like five to six, probably off of LinkedIn or like somebody from LinkedIn knows somebody and puts them in touch. Do you deal? Do you deal with a lot of non-compete issues down there? And I know we haven't touched on that, but I mean, with Birmingham being such a big logistics community, I mean, are non-competes pretty heavy down there? Is that like problematic with the you know, hiring? Um, no. So. Not, yeah, non-competes are pretty standard down here. So pretty much everybody has them. Uh, if we bring somebody in that doesn't have any experience, they, they sign a non-compete. Um, again, because the way I see it is we're taking them from very green and we're investing in them. And it might be a year or two years before we see a return on that investment. Um, and again, I had a non-compete, non-solicit, and I left and I waited it out. Um, and it wasn't a, I didn't try to. Uh, so this is a big thing, right? Like non-compete, no, no non-compete. I'm in support of non-competes and I was under a non-compete and I had to wait one out. And when I left that company, like I respected it because those guys made my situation a little bit different, but they took a chance on me and taught me everything. They didn't know anything about logistics. They brought me in and, and gave me a way to, uh, to provide for myself and my family and, and a path forward. So I was very grateful for that. And in return for that, for me to leave and go do my own thing, if I need to like wait a year, happy to do it. Then again, I did kind of do an end around and start a dispatching company, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm for non-competes. We have non-competes. 
Interesting. So, I mean, do you guys, you guys will like, if somebody leaves your brokerage to go to another brokerage, you guys, you know, do aggressively pursue those? Well, I mean, we never really had it happen. Uh, I never had anybody leave to take another brokerage position. Again, like, I think that people enjoy working here. Obviously, I'm, I'm impartial. I mean, it's my company, so I'm going I'm to think that. But for the most part, it really seems like people enjoy coming to work and we give people the tools to grow and scale. So if somebody is, so you see a lot and when people leave, it's because they, they get to a certain point of, of margin or, or revenue and they're just like, man, like, I'm going to go do this on my own. Like here, like we're going to build around them uh, and give them the tools to make their life easier, to make that sustainable revenue where they're not burning out, cradle to grave, doing ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 of margin a week and having just absolutely no social life. So we take care of our people. Um, I think people enjoy working here. We haven't had that happen yet. I mean, I'm sure it'll happen at some point and we would have to cross that bridge when we get there, but um, it's not really, it hasn't been an issue for us. Oh, I mean, that's a, interesting. Say, Go ahead, Alex. I mean, wouldn't you say they're probably not going to take other brokerage positions because they like can't? <laughs> well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I waited out and not competed and started a company. So like I was in the same exact boat, uh, me and my two partners. So uh, they could make that same decision, you know, and I, again, um, like I respect the non-compete. I didn't try to like work around it. I know other companies in town have them. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It happened to you and now you're doing it to other people. Don't you kind of yeah, see well, it? Well, I don't have a problem with it. I never, I respect it. Uh, like when I left, I wasn't bitter or resentful. They made me sign a non-compete because again, they took me as somebody that didn't know anything about logistics. Uh, I'm not a college graduate applying, going through multiple rounds of, of interviews. It, it's we're, we're bringing in people with no logistics experience. If they have experience, we're, we're not signing one. Um, but if we're going to invest, you know, six months to a year before we see a return, we're going to protect that investment. And that's what they did with me. And when I left again, it wasn't a, how do I get around this? I can't believe they, they did this. It's like, man, I'm making the decision. I want to start my own company. And in order to do that, I need to wait out a year, do the, do the benefits outweigh the cost. And they did. And I, I waited it out and didn't really right. think. Was so your non-compete one year? Yeah, one year. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from. Um, obviously, people are going to have their own opinions about that. Um, I, I definitely see the reasoning, like you said. Um, if you're going to teach somebody everything and then they just kind of move on, you know, um, it's kind of, like you said, you got to protect your investment somehow. I'm not going to comment on my opinion about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I get it. Like, I, I see the other the point of view, but as a business owner, a small business especially, like, we do have to protect our investment. And it does. Like, again, we haven't had a bad situation with it. I've heard a bunch of them. Um, I know some people that have had them. Again, we try to take care of our people to where it doesn't become an issue. At some point, maybe it will. We'll have to cross that bridge, but it hasn't been an issue for us yet. And again, it's um, the only people that we're making sign non competes are people that have no prior experience. And we're not hiding it. We're not sliding <laughs> the papers. We're saying, hey, like this is a non compete. This is what it means. Like, talk to people. If you know a lawyer or know somebody, like, have them look it over, understand what it means. And like, when you sign that, like what it means uh, for you, like our agreement, we're not just sliding it in. And then if they try to leave, we're just like, hey, now <laughs> yeah, you didn't read the fine print, you know? Yeah, so I mean, but this is like the funniest thing for me because, um, you know, I, I used to go into plumbing and there's a company that's famous in our area. This is back in Toronto for being like a plumbing university where like it's the worst toxic work environment, everything. But, you know, if you go there for like three to nine months, you're going to get paid, you know, pretty fairly and you're going to learn the trade and then you just move on. You know, so we used to call it like the university because there's obviously there's no non-compete in plumbing. You can't just say like, oh, you can't be a plumber anymore. I thought yeah. when I got into dispatch, you know, I was also involved in a company 
that we now refer to as like the dispatch university where you're like why would you pay for a course and get no practical experience when you can just go get paid you know for for learning the, the industry and i guess like you're right because a lot of people go into those roles three to nine months and they move on you know so the non-compete yeah. does protect you guys from from that yeah i mean i get the other side i do it's just my opinion and from being in that seat and having to wait one out I, like i understood it and it, it makes sense to me even on the uh, employee side so main issues uh william main issue is those employees calling your customers with the non-compete at least they can't reach out right away that's more of a non-solicit that's like that's why i was curious your thoughts because i mean Obviously, you know, non-solicit, you know, protects your business from anybody, you know, going after your customers. But I mean, I guess what would kind of be your your take? And I understand the other side of it too. But I mean, you know, if you guys have a you know great culture, which you guys do, obviously, you know, it sounds like everyone I know. But you know, why bother with the non-compete, you know, part of it since the non-solicit's going to you know protect your your customers um, anyway? So that makes sense. Uh, I guess maybe just just peace of mind. Uh, it's just what we've done. Since, I guess since we had one, we just thought, hey, we'll do it. Uh, and then we just never really revisited it and hadn't been an issue. And then and then William said, yeah, there's most contracts, there's two separate ones, a non-compete and a non-solicit. Non-compete just means that you can't work in the industry. Or most of the time, it means you can't work in the industry. Uh, mostly two different types of non-competes. Either you can't work in this industry in this state or you can't work in this industry in, say, like North America. Uh, and then the non-solicit just refers to the uh, saying your customers. If you were to leave for now, under non-compete, you just can't contact or work with the customers that you were in contact with at the previous company. We have a non-compete and a non-solicit. So, do you guys not hire um, people with non-competes then? Um, you yeah. know, as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, we we won't. And again, so like I just, I mean, to be honest, like I just don't want any part in in lawsuits or lawyers, or even if it is not enforceable, it's just like man, it's just not worth it. I, I. I like my peace of mind and it's not, if there's somebody that has an non-compete that's trying to come on board, it's just like, man, like just wait it out. If you wait it out, then we'll hire you. Just don't want any part of it. Uh, really, One year is a lot easier. I, I don't know if you, if you know this, but I mean, some States and some areas are, are two years. So I mean, one year is a little bit more, you know, a little less easier to wait out. I mean, I guess when you think about it, man, like, honestly, you, you've kind of swayed me on the idea. Um, since when you really think about it, if you go to university for something, you're looking at a four-year course to, to, to know how to do something, to have, you know, your certificate that, you, you know, you've done it. But, like, in this industry, people, like, I mean, for me, for example, like, my first 20 days, I would say I was pretty close, you know, to, to the experience I have booking loads as I do now. I would say over the years, you know, I've gotten a lot better with the manager side of things and the claims department side of things and how to, like, deal with certain special things. But like, if you come into logistics, you can learn the skills to make a lot of money fairly quickly. So when you throw out a one year where you just got to wait to use those skills you've learned, at the end of the day, it kind of still makes sense. Like you said, the the investment and the the opportunity just to have to wait an extra year, you know, to, to use it. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, again, like I had one and I waited it out and it made sense for me. And I, and like I do, like I really and truly like do get it. Like I've heard like lots of like bad stories about non-competes, but um, again, like I, I think some of it falls on the uh, the employee, like knowing what you're signing. And again, I think if we do a good job of, of going through it line by line, like this is what this means, this is what this means, this is what this means. You don't have like you don't have to sign it right here. We're not like 
Okay, like yeah. you're open about it, that's a huge difference. Yeah, we're so. like, hey, take it, take it home, talk to like anybody you trust. Like this is like a serious contract, and like we want you to like fully understand it before you sign it. Um, so, and then again, yeah, it's like, man, for me, it made sense. Uh, like I had, I had one, and it made sense for me to wait out that year. It's the best decision I ever made. And if one of our guys came to me and was like, hey, like I'm going to like leave. I wish them the best, like really and truly. Like after a year, I would tell them, like, you have questions or anything, we're here to help. But please respect our contracts. Like wait out a year, like I did. If you if you like, if you see our company, like you want the same thing, like do it how we did it. We waited out a year. We respected our employer who was, who did right by us, and we started our company and did it the right way. I think there's a lot to be said for for doing that, for respecting the contract. Yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that side of things for sure. Um, kind of going going yeah. back to to LinkedIn as well. I mean, do you do you how has LinkedIn kind of been for you? We talked about it from getting employees, but I mean, um, you know, have you seen it on the, uh, you know, customer side? Um, have you got any customers from LinkedIn or, you know, do you, do you sell on LinkedIn? I, I always love to talk to other, you know, people who post on LinkedIn and are in sales about, you know, their thoughts on selling on LinkedIn. And then also, you know, if they get any inbound, you know, shippers from LinkedIn. Yeah. So I don't, I don't necessarily sell. I'm never, I'm never like, dm somebody you know or, or anything or well i guess i've fetched before a couple of times but like ltls and all the ltl stuff was going on i was just like hey like um like we have a good provider essentially and actually got a couple of customers off that and i mean probably two or three other customers but for the most part like what i see is not necessarily new customers but i see existing customers liking my stuff or interacting with me and just like seeing our, our presence um, and I think that it's, it's some good branding for, for our company, um, posting our loads. If anybody is curious, you got a guy calling them and they search black box, they're going to see, especially if they move something that I'm posting, like, oh, like these guys know what they're doing, or at least have some uh, proof of work here. So I see a lot of existing customers interact. And I think that it helps strengthen the relationship. I've had quite a few customers reach out about the rep they're working with. Just like, hey, just like one to let you know, this guy kills it or like takes good care of us. I'm just like, awesome. I'd love to hear it. Um, so I, I think that um, it helps in strengthening relationships, uh, a few customers out of it, but not a ton. And I don't really make it a point to go on like selling campaigns or, or really prospect too much on there. For, for the most part, I'm just uh, sharing about stuff I'm interested in or that, that sort of thing. There's there's never really been like a objective in mind. I mean, like I want to bring some awareness to Black Box and what we're doing, our company at the same time, like a lot of stuff is on there. It's just like what I'm interested in, like what I'm posting, I want to connect with like-minded people and interact with people in our industry. I think like it helps a lot with LinkedIn. I mean, I've, I just made a post of people I've met there that I've hauled freight for. Um, I mean, here and there I'll throw in like a, Hey, if you got power only stuff, send it to me, like at the end of a random post. But I feel like just being genuine and like just talking about stuff that interests you will bring you around the people that might get like, you know, you might end up doing business with. But I feel like that whole just pitch slapping LinkedIn, like I just completely skip over every single one of those posts that's like this long and it's oh, hard yeah. to like, I'm doing that. I just skip all of that, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're not authentic, I don't want to. Like, some I'm of the comment sections are pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> Chipper's post on LinkedIn. Hey, but I want to get back to this for a second because I never even thought about this. You know? Like, And he just hey, changed my I, opinion. I, about I'm, not, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not able to talk about that okay, so but anyway what uh what was i what was i saying oh yeah have you seen some of the shipper posts on uh on uh linkedin will and like all the comments <laughs> pitch slapping yeah yeah I, i've seen i've seen a few um 
and yeah, they always do numbers whenever whenever a shipper posts about the broker, like anything to do with the broker, it's just like a swarm, you know, just getting blown up. I'm sure they're getting tons of DMs. Um, but yeah, I try not to be that guy per se, like, you know, connect with somebody and they send them like a copy and paste message. Um, it rubs me the wrong way. Like I, I don't read them either. Um, I mean, it's like, whatever. I don't, I just don't read them. I just, again, especially if it's like long, if I don't know you and you send me like a few paragraphs, like, dude, I'm not, I'm too busy. I'm not reading. Yeah, somebody said it such a good way. One of the shippers we had on our show, I can't remember who, and they said like, I don't know you. Like, I'm not going to invest one to two minutes into you. I have no idea who you are. Like, I'm not going to read your six paragraphs and like give you that much of my time. And yeah. I've never talked to you in my life. You know? <laughs> like, exactly. Um, and, and man, it, it's, it's unfortunate. Well, I just found it's just ironic, right? Cause like it's, I own a brokerage and like we do lots of cold calls and cold emails, but like I, I get like cold calls all the time. I'm just like, yeah, like I, like I hate them. Um, but like my guys are making cold calls and it's just super ironic. And I used to make a good ton of cold calls, but dude, I hate a salesman. I do like, I hate somebody that comes off the salesy. Like I just, like I'm more likely to do business with people that, um, like I just connect with, like I just like know them. They seem genuine rather than this, like just immediately like off the bat, just like coming in hot. And it's just like, I get a lot of calls and they'll just start going into it. Like we're talking really fast and it's like, like, hold on. Like, who are, are those you? tech providers mainly? Do you get, would you say like tech is the biggest sales call you get as a brokerage owner? Yeah. Tech freight. That's it's rough. Uh, yes. Like TMS, CRMs, like prospecting, like AI bots for like customers. And they're really hey, I saw that one, man. I mean, the idea is cool. But I saw like some demo of that. You call in for a load and like it's a AI on the other end. I reached out for a demo. So painfully slow. Like I, I looked at the timestamp. It was three and a half minutes in where we had finally heard the pickup delivery wait and rate. I was like, buddy, that's like a 14 second phone call with a human. So I think that tech has some way to go. How are these tech these tech salespeople? I'm actually interested in that because I've I've spun around the idea of going into to tech uh, tech myself. What's the quality of like sales level of some of these tech people calling you? Um, man, uh, I mean, usually not great. There are some that they're, that are pretty good, right? I just like, I'm a pretty like tough sell, uh, in general. Like I'm just like, what we have going, like, I don't really, I'm not like interested in like a new see, like I'm not interested in a new TMS or like CR. Yeah, like how likely are you to change your TMS? Like I've been having this conversation with a couple of people, like most companies just use for my understanding, like a send like the big one or two of them. And I mean, most people just don't want to change their systems. Yeah. Well, the overall, the overall to change it in itself is a massive undertaking. And then you say you got a bunch of employees, you got to get them trained up like the, the investment, not only in just like money, but like time is insane. And like what you see is a lot of brokers, man, I don't get it. They get to a certain point. They're like, Oh, like we're going to develop our own, uh, our own TMS or something. And then they try to sell or like, what are you doing? Um, the best, so like I've publicly on LinkedIn, like kind of like shit on like freight tech. Um, but over the past few months, my eyes have been opened up to some like pretty cool stuff as far as automation, not necessarily like AI bots, but there is some like cool freight tech out there. Um, some of it's pretty underground, but there's some cool stuff that uh, that people are doing that, that's pretty exciting. Um, what would be your number one company if you had to pick a freight tech company that you uh I like their product. I'm not going to throw it out there because I don't want people reaching out to them. I want to keep it. <laughs> But I have a favorite one, and it's it's not even close. And they're doing some really cool stuff, and they open eyes up to some really cool cool things. Maybe I'll DM you after. See if he'll see if he'll tell me. <laughs> I'm gonna make a post tomorrow about this because I was going through. Um, I booked a, a bunch of freight this week, and um, I was going through a raid con 
for something. Um, I'm going to make it tomorrow. I don't want to name them on here. I'm probably not even going to name them in general, to be honest. But um, <clears throat> I was going through their, their Raycons, then I pulled up some Raycons from like eight, nine months ago. And they actually changed like their layover policy. Like, and I feel like that's, you know, a recurring theme lately. I mean, if you can we get into that? Can you disclose, you know, are you open to disclose your layover yeah. time detention? So, okay. So, it, I mean, you don't have to, man. I don't care either way. No, I, I just thought it was funny that, you know, a trend has been like, this is like the point of it. Like, if we're late for a delivery, our late fee is 250 and now their layover is now 150. So, like, I don't know. I don't understand when brokers started, first of all, lowering the layover rates. And now also there's like 17 lines of deductions that can happen to the carrier for tracking and late fees and no community. But then when it comes to our like fees, they get lowered. So it's just interesting to me. Yeah, I, I don't mind talking about that. I mean, we've talked about non-competes and, and all kinds of co-broking, polarizing topics so like this. I, I'm more than open to talk about it. So. Uh, you hit on tracking. So the way that we do it is we line item tracking for $150. We don't deduct it though, unless something crazy happens. Like if the yeah, driver, they're not communicating and they're actually late. And like, dude, I, I've, okay. So I, my personal book, or like at least like when I oversee is about like 200 loads a week. And for the past, since we started doing that, been like two years, I've deducted from one driver for not accepting tracking. So we're not doing it as like a cash grab. Like like we're sending the tracking, they're not missing, then they deliver. And like, oh, hey, buddy, I like, didn't accept the tracking. Like, can take that one fifty back. Um, we just have it there as incentive. Uh, so, like, hey, you know, like, accept the tracking. Uh, but again, if they answer the phone, if they're not tracking and that need an update, they give it to us. Or even if they don't, they deliver on time. Like, they're not doing. Yeah, if they do a good job, it's just there for you know, just for the just in case sort of thing. But like, yeah, the, the one guy that didn't accept it, man, it was just like a nightmare. It's one of those loads that's just like, can it get any worse? And it wasn't even like, it was just like, it's like he was almost doing it on purpose. It's like, man, like you messing with me? And it was just like, we gotta take it at this point. Uh, so we took it from that one guy. And then <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, it was just it was crazy. So our layover detention. Um, and it depends on the situation. I will say, like, we, we don't do 150. We, we pay 250 as a standard. But if it's if it's something, uh, like, it depends. Again, like, if it's an oversized load or, like, specialized trailer or, like, it's, oh, like, yeah, it's super situational. But, I mean, mainly I'm interested just in, like, your standard in your in your Acon. It's 250 for a layover. So we actually, we don't we don't put the layover retention in there, but we do 250 layover and then $50 an hour past two hours. Yeah, see, I mean, that's just like industry it's pretty, standard. It's pretty standard, I, I would think. Yeah, so. but like, that's my point. But the brokerage I'm talking about right now is a massive brokerage and they always pay 250. And I just went through a Raycon today just because I was looking through some stuff. And I saw it like, because they, for some reason, they added like a big amount of like items underneath the load info. And their layover is now 150. And this is like a mega brokerage. And yeah. I looked through like an old Raycon and it used to be 250. So you would think that if anything, it would it would go up just like the way that like money works <laughs> over time. <laughs> you know, but it's like, oh, we're gonna go back on it. Uh times are a little bit rough. Uh, times are rough. Let's let's start taking back the already. Like people don't understand. They see a layover as 250 gained. I, like a driver, a carrier sees it as 1500 lost or 1250 lost on the day. Because now we're not getting to our next load. We're not getting $250. We're losing a thousand plus, you know? So that's where dispatching helped me a lot is giving me some perspective on that. Cause I mean, to be honest with you, when I was at Roadrunner, that's kind of the way I was taught is that like, yeah, it's like too, like it's, you know, like we're not too concerned about like what the driver's missing out on or like what it means. But then when I was dispatching, like it had it happened to me, you know, it, it like makes these like 
these drivers like real people with like real companies and like this isn't a hobby and they're not taking your load because you know they, they they're just like having fun like they're trying to like make a living right so they're gonna it's like compensate them for uh especially when things are are on you or, or the customer you know if the driver's done his job like and he has to wait like he's losing out probably on a lot more than you're gonna give them so like don't stiff them i mean i had the layover happen man that's the thing people don't see these drivers as humans as people like i mean i had a layover happen to me sometime in my career and it was like on a friday we got there they didn't want to unload us till monday this guy lost the $3,500 weekend load and he had started out Tuesday or Wednesday. So we had a short week and that week was like just before Christmas and that like layover ended up causing him to not have the money he wanted to like buy this certain gift for some of somebody in his family. Yeah, man. I just thought about the brokers. Like I'm asking him, Hey, I need a $500 layover every day from Friday to Monday. You know, you guys just cost us 3,500 bucks for something that was so avoidable. It's not like the shipper was backed up. They just didn't set the appointment correctly. And then they were telling me, oh, you're unreasonable. I told him, like, you just made us, like, that driver's a human, bro. Like, you're trying to pay him. What do you want to give him? $700, $600 for three and a half days of holding his truck? Like, yeah. Most of our customers are, are uh, again, like, we, most of our customers are small to medium-sized companies that it is more like people-based. So they usually, like, comp for that. Guys, I'm sorry, but I've, I've got a meeting I got to run to, so I got to cut this short and head out. No, oh. no worries. It was fun, uh, fun having you on, and, uh, it was a it was a good conversation about a lot of uh, a lot of topics. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. You guys have me on. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. have a great rest of the day, Will. All right. Well, was uh, I was fun. I didn't realize we had gone over. We went. We always end up going over. So. Yeah, I'm actually. I need to book my truck. I've been passively looking at DAT this entire time, sending out emails, but so far, so far, nothing, man. Well, get your uh, get your truck booked and uh, happy. Uh, you call it happy, happy almost friday man and uh we'll talk i guess next week sometime i think wednesday is our next next scheduled event yeah unless we decide to do a pop-up casual friday which is always possible that's always possible but hey take it easy bro yeah you too all right bye.